Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 71. The term love, as it's used in the Hebrew Bible, will give you meanings that include bearing a very deep burden. Because when we say we love someone, what we are doing is taking upon ourselves a very deep care concerning another person. Shalom, friends. Welcome once again to Real Israel Talk Radio. And I am Avi Ben Mordechai. On this episode of Real Israel Talk Radio, I'm going to be talking about the idea of biblical love coming from the Hebrew term Ahav or Ahava. In the past six episodes, we've been doing a lot of uh, digging into the ideas that are presented in Hebrew Scripture for what these terms mean, such as the word for love. That being said, let's go ahead and get started with our podcast for today. On the podcast today, we'll take a look at the Hebrew terminology behind the English word love. So stay with us and we'll take a look at all of this as it leads us into the study from 1 Corinthians 13. When Paul says that I have love or I do not have love, it's not what we think it means. When he says I have love or I do not have love, The Hebraic idea would be, there is no love towards me, or there is love towards me. And these are represented by the Hebrew phrases, Ainli Ahava, or Yeshli Ahava. So Yeshli Ahava would be, there is love toward me, as opposed to Ainli Ahava, There is no love toward me. And where is the love emanating from? It's not going to come from people or from any place here on earth. Rather, the love that we are aiming to receive is the love that is coming from the generating source of love, which is Yudhe or Yehovah, as he is represented in Hebrew Scripture. So, on the last podcast, we were dealing with 1 Corinthians 13.4, where Paul wrote the words, Love suffers long, or is long-suffering, and is kind, and it does not envy. Long-suffering, kindness, and envy or jealousy each have their own very specific ideas in the Hebrew texts of the Bible. And if you have any questions, you can go back to program part number six in our series. Shortly, we're going to take a look at this idea that love does not parade itself, as it is translated to us in English in the New King James Version, If you have any other different translations, 
that will probably sound very, very similar. And also, Paul mentions that love is not puffed up. Now, before I get started into this idea that love does not parade itself and is not puffed up, I want to first bring our attention to the Hebrew word for love in the Hebrew Scripture. The term love is spelled Aleph He Vet. Again, Aleph He Vet. And we can understand it from the word Ahava. Now, this term, as it's used in the Hebrew Bible, is derived from the three-letter Hebrew root yud Hey vet which could be pronounced as Yahav. Again, Yahav. If you go and take a look at this word, Yahav, it will give you meanings that include anxiety or worry, care, and yes, even bearing a very deep burden. And that is so important to understand the idea of what love is all about. Because when we say that we love someone, what we are doing is taking upon ourselves a very deep burden or care concerning another person. What are they feeling? What are they needing? What are they going through in their lives? How are they feeling? Given that Yahav carries these deep, intense meanings for the word love, I would like to focus more upon the idea of carrying a burden, because that is all part of what love is all about. It's carrying a burden. So the concept that we're looking at for the Hebrew root Yahav is really that of a flow-through conduit of giving up something that we have in order to go towards someone else and meet their need, or if you will, to serve that other person, or to bear their burden, or to bear their worry, their care, their anxiety, that kind of thing. Love is this idea of giving something up from ourselves in order to pursue the needs of another person, in order to take upon ourselves something that they indeed are going through. That is really what this is all about. And generally today, we do not have that kind of definition for love. Most of the time, at least as I perceive it in everyday life, the idea of love is not so much what I can do for you, but rather what you can do for me. In other words, love is how you make me feel. I think if you were to ask a lot of people and do uh, a pretty accurate poll to find out how love is defined, and maybe you can do some kind of a interview poll with people and ask them, generally, I suspect you're going to get answers that are very similar to what I'm describing here. I think people will generally say, 
Yes, love is defined as how you make me feel, what it does for me. But it's the complete opposite in Hebrew Scripture. In the New Covenant teaching, let's go to 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. The statement begins by saying, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, which shows us the idea of service one to another, even as Yeshua taught when he said, If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be a servant of all. So, to be submissive to one another or to be clothed with humility in all of our relationships one to another, the idea is very, very clear. And of course, there is a perfect illustration of this when Yeshua taught his Talmudim or disciples about service and humility and submissiveness and learning to love one another as it's recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, 13 through 17. Yeshua said, You call me teacher and master, for so I am. If I then, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, or in Hebrew, a dogma, that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Then Yeshua closes the statement by saying that if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. The English term to know something is yada, and as I've said many, many times, the Hebrew root word yada from its infinitive lada'at is not about an intellectual cerebral exercise of knowledge as if you were to pick up a book and start reading or go to some university class and a professor just goes on and on and on about teaching you a subject so that you can learn it in your head. Now, that's not the Hebrew idea. The Hebrew idea for knowledge or to know something is that of experiencing something to enter into knowing something by way of experience. So, in John 13, 17, if you're really learning to enter into it and practice these things by way of an experience and doing them, then, he says, you are blessed if you, in fact, do them. Many of us do not want to be interactive with the concept of da'at or leda'at, which Paul says later on in some of his other writings 
that that is just merely puffing oneself up in the mind and the heart, and therefore he says that's not love. And that's this idea that when we just simply put things into our head and we try to learn love from a cerebral knowledge kind of exercise, it's just merely servicing our need to want to be puffed up. Or we could say, so that I can be better than you, or you can be better than someone else. That's that puffed up idea. Okay? So once again, let's get back here to 1 Peter 5 5. So Kepha says, all of you should be submissive to one another, meaning to serve one another and to be clothed with humility. And so to bring out the profound meaning behind this, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes, therefore, if there is any consolation in Messiah, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... You see, these are all ideas that are spinning off of the main idea for love, which is ahava in Hebrew. If there is any of these things, Shaul says to fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord or to be in unity with one another of one mind. And, by the way, when Scripture says to be in unity with one another, that is, to be in one accord with one another, it does not mean to be the same. That is just simply not the case. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. This is not the word for uniform, as though Everyone is wearing the same uniform, like many people do when they go to work or when they're going to certain schools or colleges or universities. But this is not talking about wearing a uniform as though we all have to look exactly the same and dress exactly the same and think exactly the same. Absolutely not. This is about being in unity in the midst of our relationships so you can think differently than I can and you can act differently than I can and you can do a lot of things different than I and I can do a lot of things different than you. But yet that does not change the fact that we are to show love by serving one another by being in unity with one another. Again, not uniformity, but in unity, meaning to be of one mind. Then we go to Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let each esteem others better than himself. And in verse 4, the meaning is to let each of you Look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
Therefore, he says in Philippians 2, 5, let that mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. So therefore, returning back to 1 Peter 5, 5, we learn here that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And then the idea of the statement closes with this thought, casting all your care upon him, because he cares for you. This is what divine love is all about, that Jehovah, our creator, our sustainer, our shepherd, our king, our Messiah, our father in heaven, he cares for you. That means he loves you and he loves me because he is bearing our burdens. So we have no excuse to carry our own burdens, rather give our burdens up to him. Let us pray and ask the almighty eternal one to please take our burden, to take it off of us. That, in fact, is his will, to take your burden, to take my burden, and to bear it for us, because he loves you, and he loves me. So this is the idea of what Ahava is referring to in Hebrew. Again, the Hebrew letters, Aleph, He, Vet, derived from the Hebrew root, Yud, He, Vet, which gives us the word Yahav, which is to bear a burden. So how is it that Yehovah is in fact bearing our burdens, lifting us up out of the miry clay, so to speak? How is he taking care of us and generating love for us? The only way that I know of, as it is understood from the Hebrew mindset in Scripture, is that he will bear our burden by giving himself up to us and willing to hear your heart. That is true love. Now, let's take a look at Psalm 55, verse 22, which in Hebrew is going to be 55, 23, if you're following along in the Hebrew language. This reads, Send out or send unto Jehovah your burden, and he will sustain you. Again, let me read it to you as I'm reading it to you from the Hebrew language. Send out unto or on to Jehovah your burden, and he will sustain you. So again, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he may exalt you in due time. Send out all of your cares 
or all of your burdens to go upon him because he cares for you. Now let's go over to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here, Shaul says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law or the Torah of Messiah. And what is the Torah of Messiah? It is to bear one another's burdens, which is how he defines love in John 15, 12, when he says, This is my commandment, or my mitzvah, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Going on to say, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Notice how he appears to be playing on two different words. The idea is to bear or lift up one another's burdens. That means to show love, to consider someone else's needs and someone else's burdens as something that needs to be dealt with before looking at your own needs and your own burdens. We go to Yehovah where we give up our sadness and our burdens and our troubles and all the things that are just weighing us down. We give all of them up to Yehovah. And in turn, He bears that burden for us which then fulfills the law of the Messiah, the Word, or the Torah of Messiah. The same idea. So, in that case of Galatians 6.2, we therefore are able to do that one for another, if we are truly going to show the love that has been shown to us. We bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, we are filling up to the full and actually overflowing this law of Messiah, which is what he taught us about washing one another's feet and that if we want to be great in his kingdom, learn to be a servant of all, because that's what he showed us. So we're not looking at the definition of love as it is taught and explained in the world, because that kind of love changes with how we feel. That's why many times in marriages and in relationships, we part ways and we walk away from each other because we get it into our head that we don't have any more feelings for them, that our feelings have gone away. And in our relationships, we say, well, you don't love me anymore, meaning you're not showing me feelings that I can relate to anymore. The feelings are gone. And you know, in saying this, it brings to mind the lyrics of a song that I actually love, which many of you might remember the song, If you could read my mind, love. Never thought I 
I don't know where we went wrong, but the feeling's gone, and I just can't get it back. A song written and performed by Gordon Lightfoot way back in 1971, in the midst of him going through a divorce where he was trying to express how it felt at the time. So many go through divorces being led by feelings instead of by choices. My wife and I have talked about this often, and I remember her saying to me, choose the one you love and love the one you choose. We'll be back after our break. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 70. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Welcome back once again to Real Israel Talk Radio, and this is the second half of our podcast. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. Let's continue where we left off just before the break. First John 4.19 tells us that we love him, our Messiah, because he first loved us. Well, did he have feelings towards us? No, I don't think the feelings had anything to do with it. I think he loved us because he made the choice to love us, irregardless of ooey-gooey oceans of emotion, which shows us the principles of giving. And that is exactly what Ahava refers to. It's that of giving, explained from the Gospel of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his unique Son, that whoever believes or trusts in him, should not perish, referred to perishing in the second death. You should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life, which is a teaching found in the Hebrew Scripture at Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 30 through 32. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is why we don't have any condemnation from Jehovah. Daniel 12, 2, Daniel knew that. John 5, 28 through 29, Yeshua knew that. It is Jehovah's will that the world through Messiah Yeshua might be delivered or saved. And Shaul certainly knew that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. And so we read in John chapter 3, he who believes in him is not condemned. That's just exactly what Paul said in Romans 8, 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those that believe in Messiah Yeshua. So here it is. Yeshua is now saying this. 
He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the unique one, the Son of God, the Ben HaElohim, the Son of Yah. And this is the condemnation, as it's now going to be described, that the light, which is Yeshua, the Word, the light has come into the world, and what happened? Men loved darkness rather than light. Oh, that's a shame. But we do. Men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil and are evil, meaning bad and corrupted. Our deeds, our actions, are bad and corrupted because that is what we inherited from Adam and Eve when they succumbed to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Etzadato Vira, and they set in motion a corrupted DNA genome that has passed all the way down line from 6,000 years ago and to this very day. Every human being born into this world has inherited that corrupted genetic imprint, that corrupted genome from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve became one in unity, in one mind, with the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. That's why when you and I look all around the world, what in fact are we looking at? We're looking at darkness, and we all know it. We all perceive it. It's not something that's hidden from our eyes. We see the darkness. It is perceived. It is touched. It is felt. We know it. It's out there. It's deception, delusion, corruption. And we can't fix it, folks. If we could, then we would not need a redemption And Jehovah could just simply put a little bandage over it and make it go away. But it cannot be fixed. It cannot be repaired. It must be destroyed. All of it. And he's going to start again. And that's why we must be born from above so that we can enter into the new world, the new heavens and the new earth, which is coming. And so in 1 John 1, 5... The statement begins by saying, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we're lying. We're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we do have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Messiah, Yeshua, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say that we do not have sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Nonetheless, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, meaning to cleanse us from all of our man-made efforts to 
fix ourselves, to clean ourselves up, to get our act together, and to do it all ourselves, because simply we cannot do it ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. And so he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we're making him a liar, and his word is not in us. And you can read the rest of these statements on your own if you'd like. Now, once again, before I return to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, where he says that love does not parade itself, I would like for us to take a look at the parental root. That's the two letters of the three-letter Hebrew root. The three letters are considered offspring or the children. But when you take Hebrew back to its two-letter root, you're going to get a parental root. So the two-letter parental Hebrew root for the idea of love is that of hey, vet, hey, vet. This could be pronounced as hav. This parental root, hav, will translate to English in a command form for the term give. So in other words, if I say Have what I am saying is give. Well, give what? It's the idea of giving of yourself. A flow through conduit of something that has been given to you, you therefore turn it around and send it out. You are the instrument of the giving of what has been given unto you and it is sent out to go towards something else. The idea might be compared to the concept of paying something forward. And uh, this is a humbling of oneself towards another through the act of recognizing that our expressed need is to be heard, which, of course, is to be loved. Everyone loves to be heard. Friends, I've never met a single soul who does not want to be heard. I think we all want to be heard, and there's no better place to learn that than in marriage. That's why us men oftentimes have difficult relationships when we are married, because us men generally, and I say generally, do not know what it means to listen to the heart of our wife. And again, I stress this is a general idea. Over the years, I have met many men who do know how to listen to their wife. But generally speaking, this is a very difficult thing for us men. But you see, Messiah gives to us, meaning he wants us to cast our burdens on him He wants to hear our heart. He wants us to speak to him. He wants to hear what is groaning and crying inside of us. That is true love. And this is giving at the deepest levels of the human soul. I can understand quite clearly through that imagery that his mission is to become one with all of our burdens Each one of us is carrying such a heavy burden in this world. 
because the world's corruptions are indeed heavy. This is the law of sin and death, as Paul talked about. And so Messiah Yeshua came to us in order to transfer that burden of the law of sin and death from all of us who are living here in this world and to take it upon himself that he himself would lift off our burdens and bear them upon himself. That is the Isaiah chapter 53 prophecy. So he makes our burdens his own, and therefore he gives us rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's exactly what he said. So Yeshua chose to take the burden off of us, the burden of this corrupted genetic imprint that we all inherited from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he took it upon himself, and there he dealt with it on the execution crucifixion tree and took it down into the fiery furnace of the second death and then raised from the dead on the third day. That is, he raised from the second death on the third day as a new man. And when we believe and trust in him, such a beautiful thing happened, whether we understand it or not, a transfer took place, and we are no longer condemned. We no longer have our burdens inside our neshama or our soul. Now, the outside is a very different story. That's the physical flesh. That's the body we live in right now. Okay, that too is going to be redeemed. And that's what the second redemption is all about. It's coming. We're just waiting for it. It's part of the promise of the hope of the resurrection. The last day resurrection. When this body will be transformed from this lowly, humble state into a body of glory. And so this is the great love that the All-Eternal One has given to us, every one of us, if we will only accept it and believe it and step into it. This is the love that was shown to each of us. Let's take a look at some ideas concerning this. In Genesis 30, verse 1, Now when Rachel, or Rachel, saw that she bore Yaakov, or Jacob, no sons or no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Yaakov, Give me children, or else I die. The beauty of the Hebrew language here in this statement made by Rachel or Rachel in Genesis 30 verse 1 is that of Hav Hevet, meaning unburden me, untie me, or lift the burden off of me. We can see a clear image of this idea from Matityahu or Matthew chapter 12 verses 9 through 13. 
Now, when he had departed from there, referring to Yeshua, he went into their synagogue to hear the words of the law of Moses read. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Shabbat, that they might accuse him to find some manner of wrong in his doctrine? Well, he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit or on the Sabbath, that he will not lay hold of that sheep and lift it out? And then he goes on to say, How much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do the good. It's coming from the tree of life, the Etzachayim in the Garden of Eden. It's lawful to do the good on the Shabbat, to lift a burden from a person. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Have you ever wondered why he said that? (laughs) Have you ever asked yourself, well, why does he say, stretch out your hand? And it was restored as whole as the other. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. This is the story of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil in the Garden of Eden. This is that tree that got Adam and Eve all tangled up, where they ended up passing down line to all of us this horrible, horrible curse. But Yeshua came to reverse that curse of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Let's read it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, to eat of it, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. The English word pleasant, here in the New King James Version, is coming from the Hebrew term ta'ava, which is the same word we use in English for lust. In other words, she looked at that tree, she saw that it was good for food, and that it was lust to her eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, which we'll come to in a little bit here. So what did she do? She took of its fruit and she ate of it. And she also gave this fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate also. So here we learn from the narrative that she saw this fruit, whatever it was, and it stirred up lust inside of her from her eyes. And then when that happened, she reached out with her hand to take of the fruit. It wasn't enough that she just looked at it with her eyes in a state of lust. She took her hand and she reached it out and took it. And when she took of that fruit, both of them became corrupted in the eyes and in their hands. Both of them suffered corruption of the eyes and the hands, all because of their pride of life, meaning they were all puffed up 
thinking there's got to be something more that the word Yehovah is withholding from us because the serpent made them believe that there was something more and something greater. And it's on this basis from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, where they looked with the eyes in lust, and both of them sent out their hand to take of that poison fruit. Oh, indeed, they became corrupted. And all of this, of course, is explained in 1 John 2.16, where it is written, For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he says, but the world's passing away and the lust of her, but he who does the will of God abides forever. To do the will of God, which is to eat of the food that Yudhe wants to give to us. And what is that food? It is His will. This is what sustains us in our walk with Messiah through this world. It is to do His will. That is what it means to eat of His food. Because Yeshua said it. Look at John 4, verses 31 through 34. Yeshua's disciples came to Yeshua, and they urged him, pressing him to say, Rabbi, eat, eat some food. And his response to them was, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Well, his Talmudim, or disciples, they were puzzled, looking at one another. So naturally, they're saying, has anyone brought him anything to eat? There's so much humor in that statement. And Yeshua said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That is the food. So coming back to the principal lesson here in Matityahu or Matthew 12, 13, when Yeshua said to the man, who had the withered hand, which is the imagery of what he inherited as part of that genetic imprint, that GMO coming down line from Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when Hava or Eve sent her hand out to go toward that forbidden fruit and to pick it and to eat it because of the lust of her eyes and the pride of her life. So we could say she passed down to each of us a withered hand inheritance. We've got withered hands and corrupted eyes all over the world. Every human being suffers from it, and Yeshua simply wants to heal us and give us the food from heaven, which is Yudhivav's will. He wants us to eat of his will. That is what will sustain us in our journey of faith. In Matthew, or Matityahu, 5, 27 through 30, there is a very important teaching that is taught in regards to everything that I have just spoken about here for the last few minutes, okay? The context is about divorce and remarriage 
and lust and adultery and not being satisfied with what you have. That is the general context. And then Yeshua says in verse 28, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In the Hebraic context of that statement, in my understanding, this is not merely looking at a woman to lust for her. On our next podcast in this series, come on back with us and we'll take a look at what we're speaking about here and the teaching about looking on a woman to lust for her. And in taking a look at this, it will lead us directly into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, that the love that Yud Hevave or Yehovah gives to us does not parade itself, meaning it is not arrogant and it is not puffed up, referring to the Hebrew scripture concept chametz or bread that is puffed up with yeast, referred to as leavened bread. Come on back with us next time, and we'll take a look at all of these ideas, and I'll show you what I'm seeing here in the text. In the meantime, if you want to get some more details of what we're doing here and what I'm talking about, simply go to my website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Go in shalom and have a great week. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.